with me to, we'll have the scriptures come up, but if you've got a Bible, uh, maybe you're listening at home in your kitchen, you can have a quick look through your Bible and, and, and see some of these things. Uh, if you're in here, then we'll, we've got the scriptures up as well. It says, in him, which is Christ, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. And when I was reading this, I'm thinking, and for the apostles, this idea of unity amongst believers was was paramount. And again and again, um, they, they both, or they all, appealed to the believers to love one another. To look at the bigger picture, we have our issues, we have our problems, but the bigger picture is that you are God's building. Somehow you're a building. Somehow this building is just not, you know, maybe a warehouse like we're sitting in, but it's more than that. It's kind of the idea of a temple. I want to look at some temple imageries. I want to look at how uh, this is the dwelling place of God and Looking at the big picture enables us to go, okay, so the little picture, the details, the divisions that we've got, how are we going to work them out in the light of the fact that we are together? The fact that we are, yes, we're God's people, but we're also God's dwelling place. You see, there's, there's a couple of things going on there, isn't there? We are the people. And how do we work out the details and keep that unity and oneness. How do we guard that? And Paul, to his letters to various churches, speaks of some of these concerns that he has between the Jewish and the non-Jewish. And as I said, you had the divisions in Acts chapter 6 uh, with, with, along racial lines. You've got those that he's dealing with. And then Paul comes to Antioch and he's, he's really keen that they start to break down some of these racial barriers and the Jews and non-Jews or the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, could actually eat with the circumcised Jews because they're believers in Christ and look to what they have in common as one body, as one people growing together into this new humanity that is flourishing and engaging and part of God's kingdom. You see, becoming a Christ follower for Paul meant something had completely and fundamentally changed in your life. And I wonder if we've lost that sometimes today, but Paul was always keen to address the importance of being baptized into Christ. And we maybe have lost that in Western Christianity, but the view that Paul had that when you're baptized into Christ, your identity has changed, who you are has changed, and now you're part of a new family. So divisions that existed uh, between Jews and Greeks, well, those are no longer important. And I don't know if you've, you, you know, maybe you voted Brexit, maybe you voted to remain, and, you know, we have these divisions in, in our society, but actually when you become Christian, you're not a Brexiteer, you're not a Remainer, you're a Christian. I don't know if you know that, but who you are fundamentally is a Christ follower. You are baptized, you are a new creation. You're no longer Jew or Greek, you're no longer divided among these things. So the divisions among gender, race, uh, social class, employment status, all those things that we kind of think would, would and make us sort of polarized as a community, actually no longer relevant when it comes to who we are in Christ. 
But then how do we work those things out? They have to be worked out in the light of the big picture. And the thing that binds us and holds us together is the love of Christ that we found. Yeah, the love of God that we found in Christ Jesus. But uh, in, in, in many cultures today, even today, like it was back in Paul's time, you look at some of the Muslim and Hindu communities, and especially in places like Southeast Asia, when you become a Christian, you become baptized, you, you, could, lose, you could lose your job in places. You could lose your whole family. You could lose everything. It meant some rejection of your former culture. And that was a difficult and hard thing for people to do. For um, If you were in the Roman army, how would you then uh, become a Christ? And how would you then perform the sacrifices that the Roman culture demanded? Because there wasn't a division like we have today that you, could be, you couldn't be Roman and you couldn't be Christian. You couldn't be the same because to be Roman meant you, you, uh, you worshipped, you sacrificed. You were, it wasn't a religion. It was all bound up. There wasn't separated between religion and culture back in the day. So if you were Roman, you were everything it meant to be Roman. You would offer the sacrifices. You would um, you'd visit the temples. You would... Um, do all the things that was necessary for you to be to keep the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, or the peace of the gods. Um, that was demanded. So people like um, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, the Christians were arguing about whether Peter should have gone to the Gentiles' house and eaten with him. But the Romans equally would have said, well, how can this person who's supposed to be a centurion and leading the people in sacrificial systems, how could then he be a Christ follower? Something had to, uh, he, he had to give up his old life because he'd become a Christ follower to become a Christian. And I know, as I said, in Southeast Asia, you know, you can't be a baptized Christian and, and work for the government. It just, it, it doesn't work because you're going against their culture. So the importance of baptism, certainly for the Apostle Paul, was was of paramount. It was a complete change. There was something in your life that meant everything else was now different. And then Paul teaches and works out with that principle of now you're a new creation. Now you are uh, this flourishing human being. You are fruitful in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then teaches him what it means to live and act and act, live and act that out in the community with which we live. So I think looking at that big picture, you know, he says the whole structure is joined together and it grows into a holy temple and you are built together a dwelling place of God. That holy temple, Paul later talks about how, yes, we're building and Christ is our cornerstone. And how we know that Christ is our cornerstone is because that just holds everything together and that's how we grow and that's how we mature and we are God's people. There's a, there's a clear understanding of in, in, in Scripture where you know your foundation. You know as in what holds you together. And I think that's really important for us to look at today. What is the cornerstone of our life? What is the foundation of our life? If Christ is the one that you automatically go to, if Christ is the one that you can, you know to fall back on. And sometimes it takes some wobbles in our lives. You know, maybe you've experienced 
like an earthquake in your life and then and the building's being shook and things are being just pushed in your life. But you know you are secure as Christ is your foundation. Ephesians 2.20, the, the script built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. This is a, a temple imagery here. Isn't it? And you see temple imagery throughout Scripture, even right there in the beginning in Genesis, when God says, "Let us make humans in our image and our likeness." That word "image" is actually temple language. And in ancient Near East cultures, where this story comes from and where they're talking to, and would have been understood as this image is the word "idol." It's actually an idol. So they would have maybe pictured the Garden of Eden like a temple, that God has made a temple for him to dwell in, for, for God to dwell in, for God to meet with mankind. Then he puts his, his idol or his image in that temple as a representation of the God himself. And this imagery can see throughout Scripture how it's not about how humans want to get out of this world in some heavenly realm where God is. It's the actually the opposite is that God wants to dwell with humans here on earth. So he creates this connection. A temple is a, a connection, if you like, between the, the divine and the human. And this, um, in Genesis, when he says he created them in his image and likeness, he created them... He uses this ancient Near East temple imagery language. And then Paul picks this up. When Paul talks about new creation, he's very much thinking in his mindset of the original creation, what kind of went wrong uh, with, with Adam and Eve, and also what God is doing to bring this back to restore, to renew, to connect with us. And he picks this theme up in Colossians. I'll read this one, Colossians 3, verse 10 and 11. He says, You having clothed yourself with the new self in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. You see how Paul has this mindset that in the beginning we're created in the image of God. Something went wrong. And we know very well it went wrong but God is restoring this. God is bringing this back, you know, where God would walk with, with Adam and Eve in the garden, how he would connect with them, how God would dwell in, in the Garden of Eden. Of course, we know they were removed from the Garden of Eden, but you notice in God's mercy, God actually goes with them because God is there in the next chapter. Anyway, he says here, because you are renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator in that renewal there is no longer greek nor jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave and free but christ is all and in all paul seemed to to dwell on this point that you are in christ a christ follower and it was Antioch, wasn't it, when they were first called Christians because they had to come up with a term that meant that they weren't just Hebrews, they weren't just Hellenists, they weren't just, uh, Hellenist is Greek, they weren't this, but they were somehow this new identity and they could be recognized as such. 
And they were more than just a, a, a new creation. They're more than just the people of God. They actually became the dwelling place of God. And that's what we know about temples is that is where you would go in ancient times. You would go to see the God and then you would see the image or the idol in the temple and that would be the representative of the God in its image and its likeness. And of course those things were carved out of wood or clay, you know, but God's not looking to dwell in temples made of stone. God wants to dwell in hearts. You see how we still have this temple imagery in the new creation. We God is looking for a connection with his people. People who will love him. People who will keep his word. Jesus said in John 14 verse 23. So Jesus said, answered and said, Those who love me will keep my word. And my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them God's looking for a connection with his people someone people that will connect with him through love and if they connect through love then keeping God's word you notice how that is covenant language I don't know if you look at through the Bible, if you look at through a temple imagery kind of language, you can pick up some things. If you look at through a, a covenantal kind of language, you pick up these words, that loving kindness, that hesed it is uh, in Hebrew. That word um, is really hard to describe in English, but it's that loving kindness that God has for his people. It's, kind of, it's a love that talks about making a home. You know, when you enter into a covenant relationship between husband and wife, you don't just have a house, you have a home. And I think there's a big difference between having a house and having a home. And God wants to make a home in us. You know, not just the bricks and mortar that make up the building, but he wants to dwell in humanity. God wants to make himself at home. God wants to be comfortable in that in that place. He wants to have everything just just so. And I think that's part of what we're doing is is in this new creation. We are this new humanity. And what we're looking to do is make God feel at home in our lives. And of course, if there's things, you know, it, that we need to change, if there's things that we need to repent of, if there's things that is making, would make God feel uncomfortable in my home, I don't want to be that way. I want to open my heart to the Holy Spirit and say, God, make your home in me. Make your life in me and help me. Help me transform and change, uh, deal with the issues that I have. Help me, help me, Jesus. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Help me, Jesus, make this home, uh, make this house comfortable home for you. I want to love you and I want to keep your word. And I will endeavor to love God and keep his word. What does it mean then? Uh, pick up that thought on being baptized, being into Christ. What is it that makes us different? First of all, Paul talks about this idea of a new creation is in, in the sense of there was the creation that made us in the image of God. But of course that's corrupted and evil is that corruption of good and what God is doing is, is restoring us to that, uh, to that creation but he's making us a new creation. And how does he do this? In Ephesians 4 verses 4 and 6 he says this, there is one body, you know we are one humanity, we are one new humanity, there is one spirit 
just as it called you to one hope of your calling, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. The idea that we are one people, that we have this unity, flows out from whom we are connected to. Paul looks at the new humanity as one body. One body, many different parts, but each one keeps in touch with each other, but also each one keeps in touch with the head that is Christ. And he talks here how this oneness is, is, comes through the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that brings us together as one people. And not only are we one people knit together, as it says in Ephesians 4, but we're supposed to grow together. Now, I've been really grateful that we've been able to do online church. I've been really grateful that we've been able to stream our services and people who can't make it can connect and can hear the message and uh, get into the worship. But there's something about being together. There's something about when we're together that we grow. Someone once told me uh, an an analogy of uh, the difference between a stone or a pebble on the beach and a stone or a rock that's in a field. Now you can pick up a rock in a field and it can have some rough edges, it can have some sharpness about it. But you pick up a pebble on the beach and there's no sharpness there. There's no rough edges there. And I wonder if the constant tossing and turning of the waves and those stones rubbing up against each other kind of work out those rough edges. Do you ever meet someone who has got a little bit of a rough edge to them? And how are we going to work this out? Well, let's get together. Let's get together. And when the waves of life toss against us, you know, we're just going to, maybe we're going to rub each other up the wrong way a few times. Maybe we're, but in the big picture is we're together. We're together in this. And we need to maybe sometimes work out some of those little details, those little rough edges that, you know, constantly can spike one another, but we can work that out. Ephesians 4, I was there, wasn't I? 16, it says, From whom the whole body is joined and knit together, every ligament which, with which it's equipped, each part is working properly, promoting the body's growth and building itself up in love. Maybe those waves aren't just the challenges in life. Maybe those are waves of God's love rushing over us rushing over us, allow his word, allow his love to to bind us together, that, you know, we're not meant to be just rough and rocks in the field by ourselves, but we're meant to do life together. And I think that's where, you know, his imagery of the body and how the body has to work together to, to for that for that whole thing to that's talking about us as the people of God. Philippians 2, verse 1 and 2. Um, this is the New Century Version, but it says this. Does your life in Christ give you strength? Does his love comfort you? I think so, yeah. Do we share together in the same Holy Spirit? Do you have his mercy and kindness? If so, make me very happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, and having one mind and purpose. 
you know, we can be strengthened in our own relationship with God. We can be very focused on our prayer time. We can be very focused on the Holy Spirit and allowing God to fill us and afresh us. But what do we do with that? He says, have you experienced the loving kindness of God in your life? Then share it. And how do we share it? By our openness with one another, having one mind, one purpose. The notion of growing together means that, yes, we engage with God on a personal level to work out in a family. And this is the idea that the Apostle uh, Luke, in his book of Acts, I tell you, if you read Acts and you do a little search for um, the concept of unity, the concept of being in one accord, in Acts chapter 2, it says, be of one mind, one accord, and with one passion. And I was thinking about that. I was chatting with um, Cray about what it means to be in one accord. And it sounds very musical term, doesn't it? And I don't know if any musicians out here, but you make a chord out of at least three notes. Am I right or wrong? You need a couple of notes. You need not two notes. You need three notes at least to make that chord. And I wonder if that chord is, uh, you know, us together with God you know you got that three and uh, when Jesus said when two or three of you are gathered I'm there in in your midst so you need at least two plus God or you need three and what's interesting about chords is the notes are different aren't they they're very different but when they come together they make a beautiful sound I think that's the picture the apostle has here in the book of Acts looks at the uniqueness of the Christian community uh, compared to other communities around, you know, they would look after their own or they would uh, look after whatever they're supposed to do. But to look out for someone that's not your own was very much unique to the early Christian unity. But I just want to look quickly and then I'm, I'm closing. Uh, the times you find the word one accord in Acts there's Acts chapter 114 that they continued with one accord in prayer and all the women, the mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus and all his brothers were there. So in prayer, we can be of one accord. Meeting needs in 2 verse 41, all the believers were together in wonderful harmony. That's another word, isn't it? That's a musical term. Harmony, how you can bring different sounds together and it just holding everything in common. They sold what they owed and they pulled their resources so they met each other's needs. And meeting needs is an area we can be of one accord. In Acts 2.46, it says they, they continued daily with one another in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house did they eat their food with gladness and singleness of heart in praise and worship. It said in Acts 4.24, it says, When the believers heard this, they prayed to God in one accord. Lord, you have made everything, the heavens, the earth, the sky, and the sea, and everything in it. I think when we come together to worship, we can do that in one accord. Um, In Acts 5.12, there's the miracles, the signs and wonders, the hands of the apostles. Uh, Many things were done, and they were one accord in Solomon's porch. And then in Acts 15... It says, it seemed good to us being assembled together in one accord to choose Barnabas and Saul to send them out. In our mission work, one accord. God desires his people to be in one accord. He wants us to be able to join together in worship, but also in 
how we interact with the world. Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. I maybe go into the little details of how we keep our unity another time, but let's keep that big picture in mind. That big picture that, yeah, we are God's building. We are God's temple. We are the uh, dwelling place of God. We are this new creation. We are the people of God. We are a this new, flourishing, recreated humanity where Paul says all of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters to be revealed. The whole of creation is waiting to see what God can do with people that will come together in his name and what God can do in unity. What God can do is amazing. I want to close and then I'm going to pray with the words from Jesus or the prayers from Jesus from John chapter 17 verse 21 to 23. He says, I pray that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. You see there's that three chords. So that the world may believe that you have sent me and the glory that you have given me I have given them so that they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me that they may become completely one so the world may know that you have sent me and loved me even as you have loved me love them as you have loved me big picture God loves us God wants his love to be in our hearts And maybe there are things that we need to work out. Maybe there's, as a community, we need to have discussions about the the right to follow Christ. But in our hearts, let's just give them to him. This new life begins with baptism into Christ. And if you haven't been baptized and you want to be baptized, you know, baptism is that uh, dunking, if you like, into water. And yes, it's representative of death to your old life and beginning your new life. But actually, it's something more than just representative. I believe something really takes place in someone's heart is when they say, I'm leaving behind and I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm a new creation. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, help us to love you Help us to come together in one accord. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Bind us together with the cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together with your love. Fill our hearts right now. Fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Fill us again with your love. You are making all things new. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come, come right now. Come right now with your fresh anointing, with your fresh infilling, indwelling. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. I tell you, as a demonstration 
of what we have just heard, we're going to celebrate and fellowship with communion right now. I can have my helpers get ready. That would be great. Communion here today, or maybe you, you don't really know what it's about. Um, I'll give you a little practical practicalities of what we do. We have servers up the front here that when we have a, a little piece of bread and some blackcurrant juice or grape juice, and um, we uh, come and receive, and then.